Happy Friday, folks. Senior Editor Mackenzie Taylor here, and welcome back to the Texans Weekly Roundup Podcast. This week, the team discusses Abbott asking Paxton to investigate private organizations suspected of promoting illegal immigration. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick's creative proposal to avoid busting the legislature's spending cap. Republicans and Democrats sounding alarm bells over an illegal immigrant surge in El Paso. Republicans in the Texas House on opposite sides of a dispute over the speaker's race. Abortions in Texas falling over 97% after the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Texas Republicans in D.C. laying out their border security priorities for the upcoming Congress. The Respect for Marriage Act being signed into law after passing both chambers of Congress. The former Customs and Border Protection Head's thoughts on a new so-called amnesty bill. Local government debt in Texas rising to $417 billion after new bond propositions approved. A suspended Smith County constable found guilty of theft and official oppression. Kirk Watson returning as Austin's mayor after defeating Celia Israel. And the city of Odessa's personnel changes and becoming a sanctuary city for the unborn. As always, if you have questions for our team, DM us on Twitter or email us at editor at thetexan.news. We'd love to answer your questions on a future podcast. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode. Well, howdy, folks. It's Mackenzie here with Hayden, Matt, and Rob. Brad is not with us today. I almost said he is no longer with us, but that would have implied something that is entirely (laughs) untrue. He's still kicking. He's still around. He's driving to Ohio today to be with family. And I asked specifically for Winston pictures, like pictures of Winston in the passenger seat with his little head out the window, his little paws on the on the dash. I've gotten no pictures of Winston all day. In fact, he hasn't sent you right any now. Winston pictures, huh? No. Yeah. Mm. Um, whenever it gets to Ohio, we need to call him and sing that Bowling for Soup song. Come back to Texas. Texas. <laughs> yeah, I like that one. That's a good one. I'm sending need. Winston picks. Okay, he's going to post it to his Instagram. Oh my gosh, Brad doesn't have Instagram. Winstagram for Winston's Instagram. Brad, we should make Winston an Instagram. It would drive Brad Brad crazy to have his dog <laughs> on Instagram. That would be. It would trigger his uh, the eighty year old man inside. Before of him. I actually got down here, I thought that Winston was your dog just because you were constantly <laughs> posting pictures with him in Slack. And it, de facto, it is her uh, dog in a way. Yes, that's correct. And I never saw Brad even mention Winston or anything like that. So I just thought that was Mackenzie's dog. I think that should just be. I think the record should reflect that as fact. <laughs> Let's just decide here right now that Winston is my dog. Winston is hers when he is here at the office, definitely. Yeah. I I do like to steal him and put him in my office, which is fun for me, but sad for Winston. He wants to be with Brad. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Matthew, you're in Austin. We're excited to have you here. I'm happy to be here. He moved. He's officially here. I made the great migration. You have to retrieve your cat, but other than that, you're pretty much moved in. Yeah, pretty much. Which is you exciting. left your cat in Odessa. <laughs> I left my cat in West Texas. That sounds like a country song. I left my cat in West Texas. I left my cat in West Texas. Oh my gosh. I think Matt is just going to keep singing on the pod. That will be his shtick. Okay. Well, we're glad you're here. Welcome. Your cat will make it down eventually, I'm sure. I know. They'll be picked up very soon. It's a, it's a she. I, did, I didn't know if she, she was a she, she or a he. She. Okay. That is her pronoun. She is a she. <laughs> she will make it down here very soon. Um, on that note, unrelated entirely, let's get into the news. Hayden, we're going to start with you. Governor Abbott has primarily focused his criticism on uh, 
President Biden, but he homed in on a different opponent this week in the fight against illegal immigration. What did he have to say specifically about NGOs, non-governmental organizations? Governor Abbott this week authored a letter to Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton requesting that he investigate non-governmental organizations, NGOs, that are allegedly, quote, planning and assisting illegal border crossings into Texas, end quote. And this is amid the backdrop of a surge of illegal immigration in El Paso. Governor Abbott said that 2,600 illegal aliens crossed the border near El Paso on Sunday, and NGOs have helped uh, respond to illegal immigration in the past though they have also been accused of providing advice and resources to people on the other side of the border on how to cross uh, without being detected or apprehended. And that is what Abbott is alluding to. He referenced reports, but did not necessarily cite which reports he was talking about. Um, But it has been widely reported before that uh, there are organizations that Their interest is not in uh, securing the border, but in helping people find ways to find their way to the United States and seek resources and seek uh, ways to be granted asylum or legal status or avoid uh, apprehension. So Abbott uh, requested that Paxton focus his enforcement resources on these uh, organizations that are allegedly engaging in this activity. What was Paxton's reaction to Abbott's request? Paxton responded that he would investigate uh, these organizations. He said, quote, some non-governmental organizations may be aiding and abetting this invasion. Therefore, to protect public safety and uphold the rule of law, my office will launch an investigation into these groups and will take action against any organization violating the law, end quote. And I think what's notable about this is the wartime language of this, aiding and abetting this invasion. It's very, very serious, the language that is being used by Governor Abbott and Attorney General Paxton. And he is already, he being uh, the Attorney General, is already investigating the Texas Bar Foundation for ostensibly using its funds to help uh, facilitate illegal immigration. And this week, he expanded that investigation to include organizations that uh, receive uh, funding from the Barr Foundation. So they are uh, taking this very seriously and using a language that some people consider to be too extreme for a situation like this, uh, but others say is appropriate uh, for uh, the historically high amount of illegal immigration that is occurring on the southern border right now. There you go. Hayden, thanks for your coverage. I will say, folks, I just texted Brad and asked for a Winston pick. As you all know, I just got one. He's in the back seat laying down like that. Oh, that's very sweet. It's sweet. He's in the back, chilling out in his little doggy bed, having a nice time. That's that's a, that's a good boy. I said, is he having a nice time? <laughs> <laughs> and Brad says he was up and excited, but now he's vegging out. And then I said, Matt thought Winston was my dog for a long time because I talked about him more than you. And he reacted with the ha ha and then said, silly Matthew. 
(laughs) (laughs) Matthew is silly. Matthew is silly. You are silly. I've never been described that way before. I'm sure. Okay. I'm sure. Really? Have you? Okay. Well, we'll, we don't have time. Well, in fairness, all of us are silly at times, especially on the pods. That's why we fit in. That's true. It's true. Rob, we're coming to you. As Brad is not here, you're covering his pieces on the podcast this week. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick recently spoke on the legislature getting creative regarding its spending cap. What is the spending cap and how much money does Texas have? Right. So the 88th legislative session uh, will convene on January 10th, 2023, and they're going to have to set their biennium budget for 2024 through 2025. Uh, The population and inflation spending cap is 12.33%, which means that the legislature can only add $12.5 billion in new spending for the next budget without busting the spending cap. Uh, Texas currently has $27 billion of surplus money, according to Comptroller Glenn Hagar. This is because uh, due to inflation, Texas is raking in the dough through consumption taxes simply because of the rising prices of consumer goods. Uh, Comptroller Hagar has tried to, you know, let people know that this is a sort of temporary uh, feature of this inflation. This isn't some kind of permanent, you know, Texas is now just like printing money or anything like that. Um, But a lot of politicians are trying to debate how they're going to spend this money. Governor Abbott has said he wants to spend at least half of it buying down property taxes, but half of the $27 billion would actually be over the $12.5 billion spending cap. So this is introducing some questions about how they're going to spend that. Um, uh, Speaker Dade Phelan has said that he wants to put that money towards um, investing in infrastructure. But between the surplus, the remaining federal pandemic aid, and the state's uh, estimated savings account, Texas has about $45.5 billion overall that it could spend. There you go. What would it take to bust the cap? Is, and is that what the lieutenant governor wants to do? So he does not want to bust the spending cap. In order to basically bypass it, you would have to take a three-fifths, you would have to get a three-fifths vote in both chambers of the legislature. Patrick's solution, uh, his, his crea- he's getting creative solution, is to pass amendments to the Texas Constitution for individual expenditures. And those amendments would have to be approved in statewide votes. So uh, it's certainly an interesting thing. It's, it hasn't been done before in Texas, passing uh, individual amendments in order to bypass the spending cap. But it, it would certainly be a way to bypass the spending cap to make use of this massive budget surplus that we have. But Because we know basically in the upcoming session that, you know, how to spend that budget surplus is going to be one of the big issues facing politicians as they come back to Austin for our 2023 session. How many days until the beginning of the session? I believe it is 26 today. 26. It'll be 25 by the time this podcast comes out. Pretty spicy stuff. Hayden, we're coming to you. We mentioned the El Paso surge earlier. What are some of the highlights of what's going on in El Paso right now? Well, as I discussed earlier, there were... uh, something to the effect of 2,500, 2,600 crossings illegally on Sunday. And according to Peter Jacquez, the acting Border Patrol chief in El Paso, the three-day average for illegal crossings in El Paso was 2,460 daily encounters, which is an extreme amount. And illegal immigrants were reportedly congregating downtown and at the airport, which is alarming because of the holiday the Christmas travel, and they were also trying to find shelter on the streets elsewhere in El Paso. In El Paso, there were videos on being uh, distributed or being circulated of uh, illegal immigrants crossing the Rio Grande in 
huge groups and camping out on the other side of the border, people picking up kids and carrying them across the river. This is a sur- this surge is reminiscent, not nearly to the degree of what happened in Del Rio, but these types of surges are what proponents of border security say they are concerned about with the impending end of Title 42 expulsions. December 21st for that, is that correct? Yes, December okay. 21st is when the judge has ordered it to be ended. How did Congresswoman Veronica Escobar ask the Biden administration to help? Well, Congresswoman Escobar, obviously, well, I say obvious, it may not be obvious to everybody. She's a Democrat. She's an opponent of President Trump's strict immigration measures, and she has gone out of her way to characterize strong border enforcement as racist and as xenophobic. She contends that it is pushing the problem onto the other side of the border and then forgetting about it. That's her view of of these strict enforcement measures that Governor Abbott and President Trump took. She's obviously no no friend of Republicans on this issue, but she has said that El Paso is shouldering a disproportionate amount of the burden when it comes to what she wouldn't call it an illegal immigration surge. She would call it uh, migrant crossings. But this was a quote from part of her statement to Biden, quote, in the short term, I'm asking the administration for more resources for our local governments and direct engagement in the form of federally operated short term emergency shelters for those migrants who have been released but need respite for 48 hours or less and bringing in federal personnel from other agencies to support its operations, end quote. So she's asking for additional resources for the city of El Paso and others there locally responding to this crisis. The city of El Paso itself is seeking a $7.25 million reimbursement from the federal government to respond to this surge. And this, frankly, reminds me of the mayor of New York City objecting to Governor Abbott busing uh, thousands of illegal immigrants to uh, New York City. These cities, while uh, their leaders uh, proclaim that they want to be compassionate to for nationals who are coming here illegally or legally, they also acknowledge that these jurisdictions along the border do not have the resources to care for all of these people. And they are asking for uh, the federal government to uh, provide more resources for them to respond. There you go. Hayden, thanks for your coverage of the issue. I am now going to cover a piece Brad wrote this week um, on Republicans in the Texas House on very opposite sides of a dispute over the Texas House speakers race. So two very powerful House committee chairmen, uh, Calendars Committee Chairman Dustin Burroughs. The Calendars Committee essentially decides which bills make it to the House floor. So very powerful position. And local and consent committee chair Charlie Guerin, formerly House admin chair. He's held a lot of different leadership positions in the House filed a motion to intervene on Tuesday in a lawsuit filed one month ago or about a month ago by state rep Brian Slayton and a couple of other plaintiffs. The suit challenges the prohibition in state law against campaign funds outside of the candidate themselves from being used in races for the Texas House speakership. So essentially, this would be campaign donations received by ex-elected official going then to help campaign for a Texas House speaker candidate. So it's not a normal campaign where constituents in a district vote to elect somebody. This is a campaign that's happening within the House chambers. This is 150 people who are eligible in one way or another to vote on who leads their their um, body, which is where the, the 
the debate comes in is should those funds even be allowed to be used to help campaign for speaker? Um, the brief filed by these two chairmen says that Slayton intends to make expenditures from his own personal funds for correspondence to aid or defeat the election of a speaker candidate. Now, the political ramifications and context here, Slayton has backed um, Speaker Dade Phelan, the incumbent speaker, uh, his challenger, State Representative Tony Tinderholt from Arlington. They're both Republicans, but being that there is a Republican majority in the Texas House, there is debate over who should be the leader. And by by debate, I also mean that there's not an incredible, uh, you know, groundswell of support for Tinderholt either, or a lot of voiced public discontent for the leadership that Phelan has had in the last session. Last session was his first session as the elected speaker. He won by a landslide. Um, I believe there were only like two representatives on the first day of session that voted against his candidacy. So very much a, uh, a show of support for the speaker at that time. I will say also that any vote against a speaker kind of automatically puts you on the blacklist. You can't really pass a bill usually unless the speaker has a very different style of um, of leading the chamber, you kind of are put immediately on a blacklist where you probably won't see any significant hearings for your bills, movement on different issues, amendments supported. You kind of become the black sheep in a lot of ways. And so very conservative members in the House have always seen this as an opportunity to voice discontent, to try and start a movement against somebody they may see as um, kind of the establishment, right? This is the classic establishment versus conservative battle whether or not that's agreed upon by the members that's how it's viewed by the public right is that's kind of the the delineation here um and so slayton has very uh fervently and publicly backed the challenger representative tony tinderholt there was a caucus vote of the texas gop house members where i believe it was 78 voted for uh speaker Phelan to be their candidate and six voted no. It was done by secret ballot, so we don't know exactly who those six members are, but I guarantee you one of them was Slayton. <laughs> like that's just he's come out and endorsed Tinderholt. Um and Burroughs and Garen object to the lawsuit and the plaintiff's intent to spend campaign dollars specifically pushing for Tinderholt's candidacy, right? That's the backdrop of this whole issue. And it will be fascinating to see come the legislative session on that first day of session what the vote actually ends up being. It'll be very fascinating. So uh, uh, can I ask you this? Because I th- I haven't worked at the Capitol. You've, you've worked at the Capitol before. And uh, without asking you to editorialize, given such a small amount of opposition to Phelan <coughs> in the past and in the caucus vote, how much of this do you think is quibbling over the letter of the law? And how much of it do you think is the House chamber wanting to protect this as a tradition and a process of the House rather than something that is hashed out for the general public? It's a great question. I think publicly, um, it would obviously be a uh, statement from these lawmakers supporting feelings specifically saying this is about unifying together. This is about uh political unity but also in the legislature there's very much a house versus senate thing so it's like let's band together as a house to get the house's priorities passed so that we can you know be unified against the senate that is always a part of the discussion which is wild because there are chambers and you have people in different political parties in each chamber that are kind of it's very interesting the dynamics especially given that the same party controls both chambers and yet they still have this intense rivalry intense rivalry and it depends on who the leaders are at the time right but yes very intense rivalry it was not there so much when um speaker bonin was in office and it returned 
<laughs> a lot when Speaker Phelan was elected versus Dan Patrick. So I think publicly they'd say it's more about tradition. It's more about, you know, statesmanship and et cetera, et cetera, of unifying before the session starts. Behind the scenes, it is far more. I mean, we all have seen it. It's far more uh, petty than that. And uh Regardless of whether it's a policy difference or a personal difference, politics is politics, and it can get a lot more complicated than what it would appear on the outside. So um, certainly, of course, as there is a challenge to leadership, uh, leadership will try and quell that, of course. That's just how it works. And you have two chairmen in very powerful positions that have been placed there by a speaker, given the reins to X committee and they obviously want to maintain those positions of power. They probably think that Phelan is the best candidate for whatever priorities they want to see move forward. So it's a team sport. That's how it works. Politics is not as um, gentle or kind as uh, maybe these statements from politicians would make us think. So I don't know the details, but I'll tell you there's a lot of quibbling behind the scenes. Yeah. And and just as a generalization, the people in charge obviously aren't going to want a lot of ruckus uh, as they're trying to get their legislative agenda uh, set for the coming legislature that they're going to want to see a lot more unity and 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 uh, cooperation um and that that would probably be the preference of speaker obviously would be the preference of speaker Phelan uh, and lieutenant governor patrick and their respective chambers absolutely good question hayden okay um rob we're coming back to you let's cover um a story you wrote actually this last week Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court in June. What effect did that have on abortions in Texas? Yeah, so uh, data from the Texas Department of Health and Human Services has shown that while there were over 2,500 abortions performed in Texas in June this year, that number dropped to 68 in July, which is a drop-off of about 97%. In the first half of 2022, there were around 17,000 abortions performed, which averaged around 2,800 a month. But yeah, that number dropped to just 68, under 100 in July. Wow. Wow. And didn't this happen before the Texas laws against abortion went into effect? Yeah. So the uh, Texas abortion trigger ban or the Human Life Protection Act went into effect on August 25th. And that was what made abortion in Texas, you know, a criminal offense, right? Uh, so again, this dropped off in July, which is actually before the uh, before that law went into effect. So we'll have to wait and see with the newer data what effect uh, that had on abortion um, in the time between July and August and then after August and September 2022 and onward. But something similar actually happened when the Texas Heartbeat Act went into effect on September 1st, 2021. And the Heartbeat Act did not have uh, criminal penalties for abortion. But it did allow any uh, private citizen to file a civil lawsuit against people who aided or abetted abortion. So um, there was a drop off. And in September 1st, when that went into effect last year, it caused a drop off in abortion of about 60%. So um, another thing that the Heartbeat Act did, right, what what it did was it made abortion um, uh, illegal after a fetal heartbeat is detected, which is around six weeks uh, after fertilization. And the data for 2022 showed that out of those around 17,000 abortions performed in Texas from January to July this year, only 14 of them were performed after the first eight weeks. So if the Heartbeat Act's goal was to get that, you know, down before those first six weeks, we don't know exactly how early it was, but we know that the overwhelming majority of them Basically, almost all of them were done uh, in the first eight weeks of fertilization. So that is an interesting, uh, it was interesting data that they released. Absolutely. Rob, thanks for your coverage of that issue. Hayden, we are coming 
back to you. Texas congressional Republicans held a news conference outlining some of their border security priorities. What are the highlights of their plan? A lot of these proposals are ones we have seen in the past. This is almost a roundup of policy proposals that have been put out there by Republicans in the past. Uh, We have continuing construction of the southern border wall, making the southern border uh, more accessible to border police by clearing uh, Carrizo Cane. I didn't know a lot about Carrizo Cane before reading this border security framework, but it is evidently a tall, persistent weed, or um, I guess it's a bamboo-like plant that uh, covers the southern border. Matt's nodding yes at me, so I guess I'm (laughs) I'm close. Uh, But uh, this apparently makes it difficult for Border Patrol agents to access areas along the border so that they can engage in enforcement. Uh, The framework that Republicans laid out includes a version of Trump's Remain in Mexico policy, uh, removing funding from nonprofit organizations, NGOs, as we talked about earlier, that, uh, quote, promote dangerous and illegal activities, end quote. And then we have uh, various reforms designed to repeal so-called catch and release laws, which is a phrase that Republicans often use to describe uh, releasing someone on their own recognizance or letting them go and giving them a notice to appear, that type of thing allowing them to live in the country on a program called parole, which is supposed to be used on a case-by-case basis, but the Biden administration has employed it a lot to allow Ukrainian and Venezuelan refugees to live here because of the turmoil obviously happening in those countries. And then the policies that the GOP outlined include requiring ICE to pursue more deportations, or as they would characterize it, simply letting them do their jobs and then designating uh, criminal cartels as foreign terrorist organizations and increasing the penalties for uh, fentanyl trafficking and other narcotics and human trafficking as well. So those are just some of the policies that Republicans outlined in this plan. Talk to us then, you know, policies aside, what are some of the political dynamics at play? Well, obviously, Republicans will have a slim majority in the House And that's one of the reasons why they're teeing this up, because it's their way of saying, you put us in charge, here's our plan to secure the border. But uh, Democrats will still control the Senate. An interesting note on the politics, Kristen Sinema, uh, formerly a Democrat from Arizona, just changed her affiliation. She's no longer a Democrat. She is an independent senator, but uh, she could continue to caucus with the Democrats because there are two other independent senators, uh, Angus King of Maine and Bernie Sanders of Vermont, who are Uh, very liberal, obviously, and still a caucus with the Democratic Party. So she may still caucus with Democrats, but she's more middle of the road. Uh, End of the day, it would be very difficult for them to get this, all of these policies across the finish line. And the Democrats aren't just going to hand Republicans a wholesale victory on this. But uh, they might end up getting some of these policy proposals into other uh, pieces of legislation we saw here in Texas, there were was bipartisan support for funding the border wall at the state level. So, and it wasn't it wasn't this massive reform bill with all of this pomp and circumstance. It was it was very unceremonious. Uh, some of the Democratic votes for the border security funding here in in Texas at the state level. Uh, so, some of these proposals could end up on Biden's desk and become law, but they're not going to just let Republicans take control of the immigration debate in Congress. 
because we now have a divided Congress and the two parties have to work together if they want anything to succeed. There you go. Hayden, thank you. Boys, I have a question for you. Do you ever talk about politics with your families around the Christmas dinner table? No. <laughs> the look actually actually there's this meme that's that's one of my favorite memes um that is uh it's it's alex jones on this armored car uh going <laughs> going down main street and, he, and he's got this megaphone and uh it's uh, something along the lines of um it, it it's about um discussing politics at uh at the family family table and it's like uh me coming to the family dinner table to <laughs> to talk about the gun grabbing commies or something, or like, something that. like that. Yeah, yeah. Sounds about right. Hayden, do you? Again, not that we're in any way associating with Alex Jones. He is a proven convicted liar. So yeah. we're, we're fully joking when we say that. But um, yes, we uh, in my family, it's just common for us to kibitz about politics all the time. We're always talking about the news, current events. And, um, you know, some of us, you know, so, sometimes we're not we're not up to speed and we fall behind in the conversation. So we're around in the living room just talking about, uh, you know, what's going on at the Capitol. And it's just it's always been part of our family. We're just always talking about politics. People make fun of me because I never shut up about politics. <laughs> and and uh, so if you want to be part of the Sparks family discussion, you really have to you have to be in the know. That is a perfect segue into the next part of this ad. Rob, do you have anything to add to this discussion? Well, I was going to say that, no, the Christmas dinner table is not the appropriate place to talk about politics. The appropriate time to talk about politics is when you're day drinking before you sit down to the Christmas dinner. Ah, I see. I see. Regardless, <laughs> it's important to feel very equipped to talk about the political happenings of the day. I know y'all equip me very, very well. I'm not, I don't have the bandwidth to know the details that y'all do about your subject matter. And so folks, all that to say, prepare yourself for the Christmas dinner table discussions by subscribing to The Texan right now. We're not funded by corporate interests or big donors, so we rely on the subscriptions of everyday Texans to keep our jobs. When you subscribe, you'll get access to all our stories as soon as they're published so that you can stay informed, up to speed, and ready to vote at the ballot box. A subscription is $9 monthly, but you can save by purchasing an annual subscription for 90 bucks, which comes out to just $7.50 per month. And we brought back that fan favorite merch item. I've talked about it many times. The fake news stops here mug is yours if you go to the texan.news forward slash subscribe or click the URL in the description of this podcast. Thank you, gentlemen. That was only slightly derailed. You guys did a good job of setting that up for me. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, you're so welcome. Matt, we are coming to you now. Let's uh -oh. talk about a story you wrote this week. President Biden signed the Respect for Marriage Act into law this week, singing the praises of bipartisan support the legislation brought to Congress. Among those voting for the bill, including one Republican congressman in Texas, tell us about the motive uh, for this new law and who voted for it. Motivation for the Respect for Marriage Act is said to have come about after Justice Clarence Clarence Thomas wrote in his uh, in his concurring opinion in the Dobbs ruling uh, that uh, all major due process cases needed to be reconsidered uh, by the high court after they uh, overturned the Roe v. Wade decision. Uh, Thomas specifically mentioned the Obergefell decision, uh, which is the the landmark Supreme Court case that. Uh, used the due process clause to force all states to grant and recognize same-sex marriages. 
the law received the support from only one Republican in Texas, uh, Congressman Tony Gonzalez from Congressional District 23. Interesting. How does this law approach the issue differently? The law operates under a different part of the Constitution called the Full Faith and Credit Clause, which requires states to give full faith and credit uh, to laws enacted in other states. Under this framework, should Obergefell be overturned by the Supreme Court, states like Texas, that still has a state constitutional amendment on the books defining marriages between a man and a woman, um, would go back into effect, and the states uh, would not be able to be forced to issue marriage licenses for same-sex couples, but they would be forced to recognize marriages performed in other states. The law also grants the same form of protections to interracial marriages. Okay, so what are some of the concerns from the opposition to the bill? Texas Senator Ted Cruz raised concerns at multiple points throughout the bill's consideration that would open door op- that the bill would open the door to things like polygamy, uh, and that caused the Senate to amend the bill to specifically apply to only marriages between two people. But he was also concerned that the law would open the door for uh, organizations like Christian religious charities to be ha- harassed by the IRS. Uh, We reached out to the Texas-based First Liberty Institute, uh, who told us that um, uh, while a lot of the lawsuits that might be filed under this new law against religious organizations would ultimately be dismissed, uh, they elaborated that the language of the bill would still open the door for some similar organizations to be harassed through the court process by activists. Wow. Well, Matthew, thank you for your coverage of that. We'll continue to watch the discussions that are happening and fascinating to watch Republicans, specifically in Texas, kind of debate this issue. Hayden, we're coming to you. What are the elements of an immigration reform deal that was considered in Congress? Frankly, talking about immigration is starting to become part of my personality, I feel like. (laughs) It's just become an innate part of who I am. (laughs) You're very prepared for your dinner table discussions. always talking about this issue. Uh, The deal that was considered, and I will add, I will say that it is being reported that this deal is no longer in play. CBS News said that their sources are saying that the deal has failed. It was a, a... long shot to start with and it looks like it's not going to end up coming to fruition this was supposed to be a lame duck victory for bipartisan immigration reform and it was unlikely to start with and it doesn't look like it's going to happen but this would call for a pathway to legal status for those covered under president obama's daca executive order which allows people who came here uh I believe under the age of 16, to stay without being deported or being at risk for deportation. It was an executive order. It was never passed by Congress, but this has gone back and forth in the courts over and over for years, and they were seeking to add statutory protections for this group of people. It would have also added up to $40 billion of funding for border patrol and border security, it was supposed to be a little bit of a a compromise between those who were supporting strong border enforcement and those who wanted to see uh, something for 
the recipients of the DACA program, also called DREAMers. But opponents of this bill said that the funding was, quote, a fig leaf uh, for the the what they would characterize as the amnesty proportion portions of this proposal. So there are definitely politics intertwined in this whole debate, but those with experience in border security have definitely been sounding the alarm about illegal immigration. Tell us about an interview that you had with an official in the Trump administration. Well, I talked to a former custom acting customs and border protection commissioner, uh, Mark Morgan, who was in the Trump administration for almost the entirety of uh, Trump's time in office. And Commissioner Morgan and I went over some of the counterterrorism concerns that he has with illegal immigration. He said to me, quote, the fact is right now that the next terrorist sleeper cell could already be in the United States planning the next terrorist attack. And we would have no idea because they were part of the 1.3 million gotaways from 160 different countries, end quote. And he's, of course, referring to the people who were uh, detected but were not apprehended by border police uh, since President Biden was inaugurated. And he also uh, referenced the uh, thwarted plot to assassinate George W. Bush earlier this year. Uh, that was a plot by um, by terrorists who I think were seeking revenge because of uh, the war in Afghanistan. But he said, quote, we also know that last year the FBI disrupted and prevented a terrorist attack to assassinate the former sitting president, President Bush. How were they going to carry that out? By smuggling additional terrorists through the wide open southern border, end quote. Obviously, there, like I said before, there are politics at play, but Morgan recommended uh, some policies that he believes would address the problem. And many of them are what Republicans proposed in that border security framework I talked about earlier, uh, resurrecting Remain in Mexico. Uh, re-implementing the asylum cooperative agreements, uh, addressing the asylum system, and tightening deportation rules instead of the more looser guide, more loose guidelines that were published by Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, and then of course restarting the border wall. So Commissioner Morgan and I talked about a lot of different aspects of this issue. Uh, but those were some of the highlights of the concerns that he raised. You have a tweet thread about that, don't you? I do. Yeah. yeah. Folks, so, make sure to go to Hayden Sparks. Hayden? At Hayden, H-A-Y-D-N, J Sparks. J Sparks. Okay. I should have just said it with confidence. I knew it was Hayden J Sparks. <laughs> then I second guessed myself because Daniel's middle name is also J. Yeah. Anyway. Well, and plus my first name has like a gazillion different spellings. Ugh, so Tell me about it. And it sounds like a gazillion, gazillion other names. <laughs> so Tell yeah, me about it. I know it. it's it's really hard with those names, isn't it, y'all? Lord, I can relate, yeah. Lord in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. Okay, I'm going back and chatting about another piece from Bradley. Let's talk about local debt. I think a lot of folks don't realize the amount of local debt incurred on Texas, specifically uh, in that the state government is considered pretty conservative, fiscally responsible in some ways, shape, or form, depending on who you ask on any given day. But local debt is quite something that goes under the radar. So let's talk about it. Debt held by local governments in Texas grew by $27 billion through the first eight months of 2022. That increase is double the one from 2020 to 2021. So we're we're dealing with an eight-month period here, and we're already doubling. That equates to $14,000 in debt per resident of Texas. This is not a small sum. I believe, I'm trying to remember where Texas stands now, but there have been points in time where Texas was only behind New York and California in terms of the amount of local debt um, per citizen in the state, which is a pretty wild thing to think about, especially the population, the size of those states. 
School districts account for the largest share of the total debt, eclipsing $150 billion. And the municipalities are next with just shy of $130 billion. Those are the local governments. These totals include the $10 billion in school district bonds approved in the May local elections. But that $19 billion in local bonds approved by voters last month is not accounted for. So that is an outstanding portion that we'll discuss once those numbers are made public. But in both the elections this year, voters considered 576 different propositions, totaling five or excuse me, $56.7 billion. Three quarters of those different propositions passed. Houston tops the list of localities with outstanding debt, amassing $19.4 billion. San Antonio is in second with 18.4, and Austin has $11 billion. Um, interesting in that the top six um, include three transportation authorities. So the North Texas Tollway Authority is at $16.6 billion, Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport at $11.8 billion, and the Dallas Area Rapid Transit sits at $7.5 billion. Definitely worth going and checking out this story in full detail at the Texan.news. Brad has some great charts, graphs that give you kind of a visual representation of the sheer amounts of money that we're dealing with here and how that's divided up um, in these different entities. So definitely worth checking out and reading and being aware of, uh, you know, these issues when you're going and voting at the ballot box, making sure that you know what's on the ballot. Hayden, we're coming to you. A suspended Smith County constable faced a jury of his this month on charges of theft and official oppression. What was the outcome of the case? Well, when former suspended constable Curtis Harris writes his memoir, this chapter will be called Five Years Probation and a $10,000 Fine because a jury in Smith County found him guilty on charges of theft and official oppression. They reached one guilty verdict. He was charged with two crimes, but I believe that official oppression charge was absorbed into the theft charge somehow. When you're dealing with criminal charges, a lot of the time they'll tinker with the the charging documents, and it looks like they the jury just reached one verdict of theft and then recommended a, a term of probation for a constable, a suspended constable Curtis Harris, who was convicted of um, stealing from a tenant as he was with his deputies serving an eviction notice and trying to remove property from a home as they were serving this eviction notice. He was caught with other deputies on uh, body camera footage stealing items from this tenant, and he was seen, they were seen rummaging through this tenant's personal belongings as they were serving this eviction notice. Uh, The penalty could have been two years in prison and a $10,000 fine. The jury recommended probation, and the judge set the, the number of years of probation at five years. And then, uh, of course, assessed the $10,000 fine. So he will have to abide by all the conditions of probation uh, for the next five years of his life, or he risks going to prison for two years. And it's notable that while he was on bail, he violated his bail three times, and there are myriad more conditions of probation than there are bail, and he will have to follow those for a much longer period of time. So there's a real possibility he will not be able or that he will choose not to follow uh, those conditions and that he will end up in prison. Uh, But for the time being, he is on probation. And uh, this suspended constable has been replaced by this commissioner's court. 
uh, if he had been acquitted, if he'd been found not guilty, he could have returned to his job as constable and stayed there until December of 2024. Uh, so the stakes were high in this trial, but he is now a convicted thief. Spicy local drama. Hayden always has the corner of the market. What's the phrase? The corner of the market? The market cornered. The market. That's not it at all, Matthew. <laughs> I'm gullible, but I'm not that gullible. Anyway, Hayden's got got it locked and loaded. Did you know you know something? <laughs> what? Somebody actually wrote gullible on the ceiling in this room. That is so ridiculous, and I know that. <laughs> it's right up there. I okay. It was worth a okay. shot. Can we talk it's about right the... Yeah, there. I wrote it. There... You know how tall I am. I was able to reach it by sitting <laughs> yeah, right here yeah. on this Rob table. I'm so glad to hear he about it. wrote it on the tile right above your head. I will take your word for it. Okay. That's true. Um, well, didn't y'all do that to Brad earlier? Oh, I think Daniel did it to Brad earlier this week, where Brad had like gone off about how gullible somebody was, and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, Daniel said something about it being... Like something about gullible in the dictionary, and Brad was like, "No way!" <laughs> and Daniel was like, "Are you kidding?" <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'll have to get the official story from Daniel, but I remember that happening. That I'm great. sure that whoever it is about will deny. Wait, are you saying that Daniel or Brad? I'm saying that Brad was the gullible one in the situation, oh. and Daniel pulled the wool over his eyes. Well, since he's not here, I will say that he probably would deny that. Hayden, you're so nice. I'm I'm defending him because he's not here. Yes, exactly. And that's a very nice and gentlemanly thing to do. I'm a little salty about it, but it is very nice to do. <laughs> but Mackenzie and I had a spirited discussion about this uh, before spirited the podcast. Discussion. <laughs> Hayden, you should just take my side more. So I'm a little salty that he doesn't yeah. take my side as often. It's fine. Everything is fine. Not very nice of you, Hayden, to not be taking uh, people's sides. I, no, he I, takes I, other people's side instead of mine. So he still is being kind. He, I just want all of his kindness. I don't want some of it, you know? <sighs> Fine, whatever. I told him, I was like, nuance, gray area. No, you just have to like stick with me no matter what, even if I'm wrong. Well, Hayden is the only nice one of us here. So yeah, that's true. That's the problem. It's... I don't know if that's true. <laughs> See? He's so nice. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, it's ridiculous. Okay. Uh, humbug. Well, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um. Well, speaking of Brad, I'm going to cover his story and attempt to do so in a way that would honor his memory. Why do I keep saying things like this? You sound like I we just got back from his funeral. We knew him well. <laughs> oh my gosh, Winston was wearing a little black suit. It was very sweet. Okay. <laughs> gone too far. Regardless, folks, Austin had a big election this week. We thought we were done after the November uh, general election. Regardless, we had a we had a runoff to deal with here in Austin. Uh, state Senator, former State Senator Kirk Watson defeated State Representative Celia Israel by a very slim margin after finishing second in the general election. This means he'll serve as Austin's mayor for the next two years before having to seek re-election in 2024. This quick turnaround is due to redistricting. He's previously served as mayor in the 80s for a couple of terms. Um, so he has been in this position before. Um, he lost Travis County, which is pretty darn noticeable uh, or, or notable in that it's the city's largest portion. He lost Travis by 17 votes. Um in unbelievably slim margin. Williamson County, he won by 881 votes, and Hayes County, he won by 22 votes. Um, during the general and runoff races, he outspent Israel by a very wide margin. Homelessness and housing, cost of living were big issues that were discussed all throughout the campaigns, and they, uh, the two candidates, and even in the runoff, kind of zeroed in on those issues even more than they did during the general election. 
Watson will take over for Mayor Steve Adler after his self-described disruptive tenure marked by uh, that crazy lingering homelessness problem we've been talking about for years now, public fallout and a declining relationship with the police department, and a very uh, cumbersome uh, light rail transit project that somehow seems to keep increasing in price, all of which Watson will inherit. Fascinating to watch the runoff kind of uh, break down politically in terms of uh, the more moderate Democrats in Austin and the more progressive. They typically fell along the lines of more progressives siding with Israel and more moderates siding with Watson. Jennifer Verdon, who was the more conservative candidate who finished third in the general, uh, she threw her her hat, her weight behind Watson. So he did receive that support. Save Austin Now, which is the bipartisan group that has spearheaded the reinstatement of the homeless camping ban here in the city, did not endorse in the race, but they specifically were saying we are not for Israel. They targeted Israel and had very little negative to say about Watson. So they kind of refrained from that endorsement. Um, and I know the leader, Mavikoviak, did um, one of the leaders of that group did congratulate Watson on his win. So we'll see how this shapes up in the future. Did you see the map of Austin showing the different precincts that went for Watson and Israel? It was crazy. What was crazy about it? All of the precincts on the west side of Austin went for Watson and all the precincts almost all the precincts on the east side of Austin went for Israel Fascinating. it was really strange and I feel like that is um even in terms of like the city council races and stuff yeah. it would make sense kind of with how the political division is but it's fascinating and personally I didn't realize that there were portions of the city of Austin in Williamson County that did not dawn on me yeah but I didn't know that there were some in Hayes County well, I didn't know that either well now we know I didn't either. <laughs> we're, we're all le- very informed yeah, here. learning new things today. Like, again, <laughs> this has been an educational podcast. Brad is educating us yeah. from, from from the beyond. beyond. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's almost like he's still here. With it's us. almost like he's still here. And folks, to honor his memory, subscribe to the Texan. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. This has gone too far. I already said it's gone too far, and I keep going further. further. I know, he's going to be listening to this on um, the road, like. Oh, you didn't. <laughs> no, I know. But folks, seriously, go subscribe to the Texan so you can be as informed as we are reading Brad's articles. Right. Okay. If you didn't listen to the Texan podcast, you would have no idea that there were portions of Austin and Williamson. And Watch everyone email us and be like, you guys are stupid. Everyone knows that. <laughs> everyone knows that. Brad's real. articles, I wouldn't know anything about anything, frankly, happening in this state. So Wow. Not Hayden or Matt just or Holly or Kim, just Brad. You're putting me in a position here. I don't really want to get into. <laughs> you want to be in? No, yeah. no. I mean, everybody else obviously great. Holly for Houston certainly is is a great reporter. I wouldn't know anything about Houston if it wasn't for Holly. So. Yeah, absolutely. I don't really not know anything. I grew about up the, there, and I wouldn't know anything about Houston about if it wasn't high speed, for Holly. High speed rail for Kim. Lots of traffic. Oh my gosh, yeah. they're they're amazing. And Taryn, our ladies are amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. But um, and I will say, Hayden, you're you're okay. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you're okay. No, everyone's amazing here. I love them very Mac much. Mac is just mad at me because of earlier. It's that's, true. That's what that was about. It's true. If anyone was wondering. it's I'm holding a grudge. Matthew, speaking of things that you're educating us about, let's talk about the Odessa City Council, which made some big news with their actions this week. Tell us the details of what happened and why it's important. It is. And uh, this is kind of continuing on on a bunch of interesting local Woo. news here at the Texan that we're covering. The council meeting in Odessa this week got a lot of attention after making a number of bold moves. To preface what happened, three incumbents on the council who were backed by 
The local Republican Party there in Ector County includes Mayor Javier Hoven, at-large Councilwoman Denise Swanner, and District 1 Councilman Mark Mata have been at odds with the majority of the council for a number of years now, with council members Steve Thompson, Dietrich White, Mara Willis, and Tom Sprawls usually being at odds with the other three on most issues. The demographics of the council changed this past November, however, with two Republican Party-backed candidates, Chris Haney and Greg Connell, replacing Willis and Sprawls on the council, and another uh, candidate, Gilbert Vasquez, replaced White. The direction of the council changed pretty much immediately uh, with the new three being sworn in, uh, where as as soon as they took the oath of office, they moved forward to pass a sanctuary city for the unborn ordinance, uh, something that the previous council members had blocked uh, in prior days whenever Mayor Javier Hoven, I believe, tried to bring it up for passage last year. Fast forward to this week, the council moved in a 5-2 vote to fire the city manager and the city attorney, appoint interims, begin the search process for permanent positions, give police and firefighters pay raises with ARPA funds that the city received from the federal government, something that the prior council had also been opposing, and finally gave final approval for the sanctuary city for the unborn ordinance, which, uh, kind of interesting, ended up passing in a 6-1 to one vote when Vasquez, who had abstained on the first vote last month, uh, ended up deciding to support the measure and vote yes. Steve Thompson was the lone uh, vote against the ordinance. Wow. So tell us about the fallout from this meeting, this very dramatic meeting. Very dramatic. Uh, it got very lively. Um, a number of residents and activists who were opposed to either the firings or the ordinance took issue with the public comment period occurring after the votes, pointing out that the Texas Open Meetings Act requires the public to be allowed comment either before or during a vote on an action occurs. Local attorney Gavin Norris interrupted the meeting yelling on multiple occasions and announced he plans to sue the city. And local Democrat Party chair Hannah Horrock spoke out against the uh, unborn ordinance, uh, sanctuary city ordinance, saying the law will not stop her from helping others to obtain what she described as abortion health care. Now, a lot of members of the public spoke out in favor of the ordinance, uh, and a number of residents are also telling me that they're in favor of all the agenda items, including the firings and uh, the police and firefighter pay raises. Uh, but it's interesting to see if anything actually does materialize uh, from the opposition uh, relating to those votes, whether there's actually a lawsuit filed and, and whether or not there's, uh, they make good on any threats to uh, recall the mayor, etc. Absolutely. Spicy stuff. Definitely worth going and reading all the details. I found it fascinating. And I love that our readers in West Texas are now served by your reporting, Matt. So thanks for your coverage. Let's move on to the tweetery section here, gentlemen, before we wrap up with a fun topic for the rest of the of the podcast here. Um, Rob, what did you see on Twitter this week that caught your eye? Well, today on December 15th, 1791, the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments to the United States Constitution were fully ratified and went into effect. So it was, um, uh, you know, several presidents, I believe, starting with um, FDR, issued a proclamation of a Bill of Rights Day on December 15th. So it's definitely a, uh, a day to celebrate for that reason. I believe if I can do math right off the top of my head, 231 years since it was ratified in 1791. So about to be 232. 
come only a few weeks for January. So a good day, a good day to celebrate. Definitely. We love a today in tech in, in history. That account uh, is fantastic. Absolutely. And I will say folks, we will have over the course of the next few weeks, some really awesome Texas history pieces as well. That kind of give you an idea of what happened on different days in December that are fun and historic. So keep an eye out for those pieces just to plug more of our content. Hayden, what about you? What did you see? I'm going to commit the unforgivable sin of referencing one of my own tweets this (gasps) week. So I tweeted an article from CNBC that talked about new polling data that shows that the general public does not want either Joe Biden or Donald Trump to run for president. And the poll said that 61% of the public, these are adults, not just registered voters, uh, think that Trump should not run again. And 70% said Biden should not run again. So, and only 30% said Trump should run again versus 19% saying that Biden should run again. Interesting tidbit that the two people considered the Trump could, there could be a rematch in 2024 between Trump and Biden, but the general public does not want that to happen. They want new candidates on, in both parties, Yeah. Uh, even though it is a real possibility that it will be a rematch between Biden and Trump in 24. Severe unpopularity we're seeing. Fascinating. <clears throat> Matthew, last but not least. I have some major breaking news <laughs> <laughs> i am of so a ready global political importance you sound like him already you sound like the person you're about to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 it's 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 just I, I can't even put words to it um you know the news that came out uh this morning is that um the collection is here Finally, these limited edition cards featuring amazing art that you can own now for only $99 each. The official Trump NFT card. <laughs> wow. I don't know anything about NFT. I don't know anything about an NFT card either. I'm so but dumb it looks when it comes like to that a, topic. Uh, really cool, like, uh, Kind of like a baseball card or something like that. I think it's a computer generated image, and there's only one. Well, so it's the not way it's usually like computer generated, it's usually artists. Um, no, they may use computers to generate that art, and I think they do because it's on a blockchain. So uh-huh. the whole point is that it's specifically uh, unique. So we'll never be able to be like you. You will own like you own that piece so of art. Get, so you could get Trump Superman laser eyes for only ninety nine dollars. Hundred percent. It's true, but of course, if anybody ever uploads that image, which some people I have seen upload the images online, you know, and say, "Well, this is my new NFT." There's a, a function on your computer where you can right-click on that image and then you can save it to your hard drive, and you know, it it sort of is. It's out there. there. It's out there for sure. Unfortunately, if I you think, post your NFT, but then the you've argument, kind of already lost your NFT. But here's the thing: there's also the argument that you can buy prints of anything. Of any painting, like I could buy a print of the Mona Lisa tomorrow and frame it in my house, right? Yeah, absolutely. So the argument. And I'm not even I'm not even pro NFT, but I also think there's more to it than people realize. And NFTs have tanked unbelievably in the last. We're, like, we're missing the, the the entertaining political news <laughs> exactly. aspect of this, and and this is that all of these everybody whenever the announcement came out, there, there is a major announcement coming out. Like every major political news <laughs> outlet and 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 observers were all like get ready there's a major like like we're about to hear a vice president running made announcement or something like that and then um this this commercial drops 
uh, as part of the announcement that one one account described to say 3 a.m. infomercial. <laughs> like, what is going on here? <laughs> ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. Yeah, it seems like um, Trump non-fans and Trump fans on Twitter alike are kind of unhappy with this yes, announcement yes. coming up. as this big announcement. He said, America it, needs a superhero. It that blew was what up he said. huge. Yeah, I mean, it was so forceful the way it was announced. And, and yeah, a lot of, of Trump's big main supporters on Twitter are just like, you know, I, I saw this one post that was just three three dots. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, so, yeah, uh, the, the, the presidential election is going to be interesting. Hmm. Fascinating stuff. OK, well, let's pivot real fast to a fun topic here. We're getting to the near end of our time. Hayden, I believe this was submitted by you. What makes you think that? Because. The, I checked the docket earlier today and you did the only one to, yeah, to, to fill it out. And so the fun topic had been added. And so then process of elimination. Okay. Yeah. I saw your, your light come on in the Google doc and I was trying to hurry up and type it before you saw that it was me typing. It. Oh, I didn't see you typing it. It was just, but no just, one else had I, added anything okay, yet. So, so I figured it was you. My fingerprints were all over. That's it. hilarious. Um, why don't you host this Hayden? Well, many of us travel a lot during the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and not all of us live far enough away that we fly, so we drive. And it raises the question, what are your pet peeves with other drivers? Would anyone like to go first? Yes, I would. My pet peeve, <laughs> <laughs> My pet peeve isn't necessarily other drivers so much as everyone decides to drive so much around Christmas or even Thanksgiving that the traffic just gets horrible at places that you need to go to just to live your daily life, like the grocery store. And I get very frustrated. And parking lots are insane. People are shopping everywhere. I don't even go to the mall that often. And if I have to go anywhere near any sort of shopping center, I get so frustrated. And my fiance gets so frustrated and says words that I do not like <laughs> while we're driving through So you need a bleep Central button market. when you're in the... Yes, in I the- do. Well, he, has, he actually seat. doesn't even do it. He just, I can tell they're going through his head. So as, <laughs> it isn't even that he vocalizes it. I just see him over there just going, like it's muttering. And it, I can just see, like, it's like a, a, a billboard. Like I can see LED lights flash <laughs> on his forehead. And I know what he's saying in his brain. Mm. Yeah. But I hate, I literally hate the holiday traffic. I just hate it. Does he ever, do you ever drive when he's in the car? Yes. But most of the time I don't want to drive. I want him to drive. Really? I, I prefer to be the one driving when I have other people in the car. It might be a guy thing too. Like I just want just want more control. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. And, and I think gals are like, it's nice not to have to drive. Like I'm happy not to. I get nervous when I'm in the car with somebody else driving, especially if I don't know them very well. Yeah. I get yeah. That. I've driven Hayden around a few times and the way he <laughs> white knuckled the door. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That's what that was. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh man. I will say this. The worst thing I think when you're driving is when you're trying to make a lane change and the person next to you, maybe because they see you, maybe they don't, but they keep perfect pace with you so that you can't make a lane change. I've had this situation where I try and speed up. The person speeds up not to go in front of me, but as if they're like trying to stop me from, I don't know if they're just being, you know, mean or if they're just like completely oblivious to the fact that I have my blinker on. But considering, you know, how few people in Texas even know what the purpose of their turn blinker is. You know, I, I can't blame him for not knowing what the little blinking light means that I'm trying to get over into the next lane. 
I, I okay. Sorry, go ahead. I have two pet peeves. Um, let's see. One is whenever you're you're going down a one way and you have multiple lanes, like two lanes, and the two people in front of you go the same slow pace next to each other in the lane so that you can't go by. Yeah. Uh, the second one is, you know, the lead distance that I have between the car in front of me is there for a safety reason. And it may, oh my gosh, nothing will get my blood pressure up, make me start sounding like my father um, <laughs> faster than somebody inserting themselves between in that, in that space. Like oh. it, it was, it was, it's there in case somebody hits the brakes. Well, I'm sorry, yeah. Matt, because I'm, I have to do that when I'm merging onto Mopac because there's only, there's only so much space, and I, I try as soon as I get into that space to slow down to recreate that so that it you know, I'm not bumper to bumper. But sometimes you have to you have, you have to shimmy your way into traffic, otherwise you'll just be going in a circle on Mopac. You're dead to me, uh, Matt, <laughs> Matt. Let me you ask you a the question. Third person who said to are, that to me this are week. Are you the so. kind of person, Matt, who gets mad because people are only doing eighty and a sixty? Like, is that is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I am a native Texan, so <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that might have been you that was, uh, you know, irritated with me on on Mopac the other day. Was it? I think that might have been you in the car. It might have been. I'm just kidding. Hayden, I want to go back to where <laughs> you said that. I actually just learned that it's called Mopec, by the way. Sorry. Oh, yeah. I also would like to say that, or like return to the fact that you said that you had been told that you, someone, that you were dead to somebody three times yeah. this week. Like once yeah, by Matt, Matt was, two other Matt times. Was, Matt was the third. Were those at uh, coworkers of yours that said those things? They were. Um, and actually, the, the second time had to do with Matt. So it's oh. all connecting. But pretty soon, I'm just going to be a ghost floating <laughs> around here because I'm dead to everybody. <laughs> so. It was Brad and it was... Well, it, uh, KB said it to me, jokingly, uh. obviously. But she was like, because I, I told Matt to add the Texas icon. And then I said, just kidding, I don't care. And she was like, Hayden, I loved you until you said you didn't care. Now you're dead to me. I'm like, oh, great. That's two in a row. So Matt but was at least my third you weren't strike. fired. You might be dead to her, but hey, you're still not fired. Hayden, uh, yeah, I'm still Hayden and Brad, the ghosts of Christmas past. <laughs> well, and I called Brad a rock star on his birthday. That's why Brad's mad at me. <laughs> it made me so happy. So Hayden, Hayden, you did do something fun for me this week. I did. See? Yeah, you're right. I, I'm not always not on your side. That was that was part of that, that, that passive aggressive comment like we were talking about in the office, right? That oh, rock side. star. That's, yeah, that's well, kind of no. how he took it. Uh, yeah, I think it is. <laughs> he didn't like it. So I'm dead to him. You're dead to him. It's true. Well, this has been delightful, gentlemen. Merry Christmas. I'd like to say that as many times as I can in the next month. So Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank Merry you. Christmas. Folk. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Lord in heaven. Folks, we appreciate you listening to us. Blather. And we will catch you next week. Thank you to everyone for listening. If you enjoy our show, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want more of our stories, subscribe to The Texan at thetexan.news. Follow us on social media for the latest in Texas politics and send any questions for our team to our mailbag by DMing us on Twitter or shooting an email to editor at thetexan.news. We are funded entirely by readers and listeners like you. So thank you again for your support. Tune in next week for another episode of our weekly roundup. God bless you and God bless Texas. Texas.